ask, <coughs> excuse me, I'll ask the rest of you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, as we continue our verse-by-verse exposition of this uh, instructional book to the persecuted church. This is, um, of course, if you've been with us, you know that Peter wrote this letter um, to those who who had, uh, to many who had fled Jerusalem when the initial persecution broke out in, uh, in the early days of the church and as they spread to other parts of the uh, Roman Empire, um, the gospel went with them and uh, the church was spreading and, and growing and opposition was spreading and growing along with it. And uh, so Peter writes this to encourage the church to persevere in their faith. And... Uh, This morning, as we look at verses 13 through 17, we're going to be focusing on the confidence of faith, recognizing that as as we live our life in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, that 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 obedience is an act of faith, that uh, it is faith that saves us, it brings us into a right relationship with Christ, and through faith, we serve Him, and through faith, we experience the promises of His Word being manifested in our life. The more that we serve Christ, the more that we know about Him, the more that we seek to do for Him, the, more, the closer we get to Him. And the closer we get to Christ, the more confidence we have in the reality of His Word. Because as, as we experience life in Christ and we walk with Him, we, we experience the promises of His Word being fulfilled in us. And we, and we gain confidence in our faith as we walk with Christ. And, and, and Peter recognizes that reality. Peter had walked with Christ um, when, when Christ was on the earth. And, and, you know, Peter, you know, he's famous for sticking his foot in his mouth. And, and yet, you know, he made so many mistakes. And he was just, he was always bold in everything that he did. And even when he was wrong, he was bold in his wrongness. And, and, uh, but he, he learned as he walked with Christ and he experienced uh, what, it, what it meant to trust him. I mean, one, one of my f- favorite images in, in all of the New Testament is, is the account of um, when Peter and the, and the disciples, they're out on the boat and Jesus is walking on the water out past him and, and uh, they, they, they don't know what it is at first and then they think it's the Spirit and Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's I. And, and Peter's like, if it's you, call me to come to you. And Peter's like, I'm going, because like I said, you know, Peter was bold in everything he did, so Peter jumps out of the boat, you know, he's not even thinking, and, and so Peter's walking on the water with Jesus, and then Peter's like looking at circumstances around him, and he starts to sink, and he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he just starts to sink, and, and, uh, and he's, he's like, Lord, save me, and, and Jesus brings him up, and they, they, they're in the boat together, and, and uh, you know, but it's just, it's such a, to me, it's like such a picture of life, because when we've when, we're, when our eyes are focused on Christ, I mean, we have the confidence to do anything because we recognize how great and wonderful and awesome he is, that we can do anything in him, anything that he's called us to do, anything that he asks us to do. We can do it because he's going to give us the power to endure. He's going to give us the power to accomplish it. And, but so often what happens is as life is going on around us and we have, our ten, we have a tendency to take our eyes off of Christ and to be looking at our circumstances and, and to be looking at the difficulties that come our way and to be looking at the hardships that, are, that surround us and, and, uh, and we start to sink. 
and we start, to, we start to fall away. And so, like I said, Peter's experienced all this firsthand. He understands what it means to walk with Christ. He understands what it means to keep his eyes focused on him. And so he's encouraging believers that are, that are undergoing persecution, and he says, look, be obedient to him. You can trust him. And as you trust him, you'll experience his promises being fulfilled in your life, and your faith will be built on the confidence that we have in Christ. And so that's what he's trying to impart to the church. He recognizes that they are that they're suffering. He recognizes that there's, they're, they're afraid. And, but Peter's like, listen, you don't have to be afraid. If you belong to Christ, you don't have to be afraid. Just, just follow him. Just be obedient to his word and don't worry about anything else. And he, so he's, he's trying to inspire confidence in the faith that we have in Christ. And I think the problem in, in today's world is, is that very thing, is that we, we take our eyes off of Christ, in the Christian church in particular, we take our eyes off of Christ and we look at our circumstances. And we, and we make decisions and, and we're doing everything based on how we feel. We're doing everything based on, on what we think we need to do in order to make things better. And, what we do, and, and we're not thinking about what would, what would Christ have me do? How can I honor God in this circumstance? How do I, how do I keep my attention on Him? And so, so, and what we end up with is, is we, we all end up trying to do our own thing rather than doing Christ's thing. And Peter's trying to get the attention of the people and say, listen, you can't do it your way. If you do it your way, it's only going to cause heartache. It's only going to cause strife. It's only going to cause difficulty. Do it Christ's way. He saved you for a reason. He saved you for a purpose. Honor him in that purpose, and you will experience the joy of what it means to follow him. So let's, let's look at our passage this morning in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read God's holy word. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. Gracious Father in heaven, as we approach your word this morning, I ask, Lord, that your spirit would open our eyes to these truths, that our hearts would be opened by your spirit to receive them, and that you would strengthen us in our faith and draw us close to you that we may be more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we look at this passage, we see in verse 13, Peter asks this rhetorical question, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Now, it seems a pretty straightforward question. It's pretty, you know, who can harm you if you do what's good, right? I mean, now obviously, 
these Christians were suffering for their faith, so obviously there was some harm going on, but the wording of the question seems, seems a, little, a little strange, but it's really, it really is a question concerning faith. It's a question concerning obedience to what Christ has called them to do, and it's a question concerning confidence in Christ's ability to do what he said he was going to do. So there's always two sides of, of, of these things. You know, there, there's, there's our side of it and there's God's side of it. If we do our part, well, let me put this, God's going to do his part regardless because he's God. He's faithful regardless. But even in that, he still called us to do our part. And, he's, and, in, and in doing in our part, and I'm not talking about the, the essence of salvation, that's completely of God, okay? He does it all. But in our walk with Christ, he's made us some promises. He's told us he's had some things for us to do. And, and he's promised us blessing. We talked about this over the last few weeks. He's promised us blessing for our obedience. And, and so Peter's just, he's bringing that back to this question that if you're doing what's right, what do you have to fear? You see, faith is demonstrated through obedience to the word of Christ. And so that's why I say this is a question about faith. Now, that, that, that word zealous there, he says, excuse me, and well, we see obedience being pictured, he says, if you prove zealous for what is good. The word zealous, it means to be eagerly desirous, to be passionate about something. You've heard of the zealots, uh, Simon the Zealot, he was... Uh, you know, part of a, an uprising in Jerusalem against the authorities. The zealots sought to overthrow the Roman government at any cost because they were passionate about, about a free Jerusalem. Well, we're called to be passionate about the things of Christ. And, and when we're passionate about the things of Christ, then we're passionate about doing what's good in his sight. So when, when Peter talks about being zealous for what is good, he's not just talking about the, doing the things that, that people say are good, but the things that God says are good. Now, a lot of times if we do what God says is good, people will say it's good too, right? But sometimes we can get focused on doing what people say is good, and if we do it because people say it's good and not because God says it's good, we're not doing it for the right reasons. So we need to prove zealous for doing what God says is good, and he says, if you do that, then what do you have to fear? Prove yourselves to be zealous for what is good. That word prove, it literally is, comes from a Greek word meaning to become. To become zealous for what is good. Now, you can't prove yourself to be passionate for something if you don't do it. Passion isn't, isn't pictured in the thing, just in the things we say. It's in how we respond. It's in how we act. It's in how we carry ourselves. It's, it's in obedience. If we're passionate for the things of Christ, if we're passionate for him, we're going to do the things that he tells us that we are to do. You can't say that you're passionate about serving Christ if all you ever do is what's convenient and easy for you. That just shows you're more concerned about yourself than you are about the things of Christ. It's like, yeah, well, I'd like to serve, but I have this going on. Or I'd like to, I'd like to help you out, but, but I, I, I'm doing this. I'd like to do more in the church, but you know, I'm, just, I'm just really busy. Well, what does that communicate? that we're concerned about ourselves. Now, are there legitimate reasons that we can't be involved sometimes? Yeah, there are. But the overall pursuit of who we are and, and what we're doing, we need to prioritize Christ. We need to prioritize him to prove ourselves zealous 
for what is good, understanding that in obedience that we can trust the Lord to deal with everything else that's going on. When we live consistently in accordance with God's word, we have no reason to fear the world around us. And we're going to talk a lot about fear this morning as we look at this passage. And, um, and you know, I'm just reminded that the, of the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 28. And Jesus tells the disciples and he, he tells those that are there, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So, if the Lord who is able to destroy both body and soul has redeemed us for his glory and adopted us into his family, then what is there left for us to fear? If we're, if we're only to fear him because of what he could do to us, right, then what is there left to fear? I mean, he's, he's our father. If we're in Christ, he, he's, he's watching over us. He's, he's, yeah, I mean, apart from him, we have a lot to fear. But in him, now, he, listen, he's a father and he's going to discipline us, so that there's, still, there's still that certain level of fear of God's discipline, you know, that helps motivate us to do what's pleasing in his sight. But overall, there's nothing in this world that is greater than our God. There's nothing that we're going to endure. There's nothing that we're going to go through that is bigger or more powerful than our God and Father. There, there's, there's nothing to compare with his power and his glory. It's not that things will always be easy. That's, that's, not, that's not what this, these verses are talking about and inspiring confidence and faith. He's not, he's not saying that no harm will come to you. I mean, the question of who is there to harm you in verse 13 is really one of, of just suggesting that this, this general reality that if you do what's good, what do you have to fear from the outside world? I mean, how many people typically do you know of that suffer for doing the right thing? Now, we're used to suffering for doing the wrong thing, right? I mean, that's the, kind of the way the world system works. When we, when we mess up, when we do wrong, there's consequences for the things that we do. But when we pursue and do the things which are right, it doesn't normally lead to suffering from the outside world. Now, that's not, again, that's not an absolute, that's just a general term, because we know that as we seek to serve Christ, there will always be those who oppose us simply because we are Christian. There, there is always that opposition that, that somehow they see us as a threat. But generally speaking, when we prove to, when we prove passionate for the things that are right, we have little to fear in this world. But even when trials come, and we're going to talk more about this in just a minute, even when trials come, we have to remember what God has promised us. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, the Apostle Paul wrote, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Romans 8 verse 18 says, For I consider the suffering of this present the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. These are confident assurances that God has given us in his word that no matter how difficult things may be at any given time in this life, that he has promised us something far greater in eternity future. He has given us something to look forward to. He has, and, and it's not just that, but the, the things of this life are fleeting and, and brief in comparison with the glory that awaits us in eternity. And so, 
So this is part of keeping our focus on Christ, is gaining that eternal perspective to understand, you know what, we're, we're consumed with the immediacy of our circumstances, but God is bigger than the immediacy of our circumstances. God sees what, what he's accomplishing through that difficulty. He sees what it's going to bring about, you know, tomorrow, in the next day, in the next week, in the next year, in 10 years from now, in 100 years from now, how what he's doing in this moment is going to impact us that we might impact others for the glory of Christ. God is always working to glorify his name through us. So, it, so, it, so Peter is, like I said, he's, it's, it's about faith, it's about confidence in, in the faith that we have in Christ because we are experiencing the outworking of God's power and promises in our lives as we seek to serve him. And so Peter asks the question under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Now, as I said, this it represents a general truth. It's something that, that Peter recognized. Um, you know, God establishes authorities in the world to punish evil, right, and to recognize good. I mean, that's basically what the authorities do. You, you, do you have to fear you fear getting stopped by the police if you're following the speed limit and, and all the traffic laws, right? No, I mean, that's when you see that cop sitting in the meeting, you automatically hit your brakes because you're, you, you fear that you're doing wrong, right? And so, so we, we, we see this, but if we're doing what's right, we don't have anything to fear in general. Now, we also know that regardless of where authorities are set up, that they are subject to corruption because they are, they are, carried out by sinful men, by fallen mankind, and, uh, and every um, authority is, is sub subject to corruption because of the fallenness of mankind. But even in the most corrupted regimes in the world, there is still a basic balance in which the authority is established to uphold what is right and to punish what is bad. Now, those definitions may change in different regimes as far as what's, what's right and what's wrong, but in a general sense, that reality holds true. If you do what's right, you have little to fear from those that are in authority. But again, it's run by sinful people. And we know historically, these Christians that, that Peter's writing to, they were suffering. They were experiencing some of the corruption in the, in the human authorities. They were suffering under the, the hand of Nero and his, and his officers as he was seeking to, to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and yet Peter's telling them, listen, if you just, just do what's right and don't worry about the authorities. You know, in general, the authorities aren't after you for doing what's, what's right. They're going to come after you for doing what's wrong. So if you think about it, people under oppression, sometimes what do they do? They rebel, right? People under oppression, they rebel, and, and they start to do things right against, against the authority. Well, what do you think that's going to do? That's going to draw attention to you, right? You start rebelling, you're going to draw attention to yourself. You're going to bring the authorities against you. Peter says, listen, don't rebel. Trust God and do what's right. And then even if you should suffer, and this is where he gets into, into the next several verses. Um, look at verse, just look at verse 14 with me. He says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And this is really, I would say this is probably the primary point in this passage of Scripture that, that Peter is trying to get us to understand as believers, is that suffering is, is, one, it doesn't normally come from doing what's right, so do what's right. Don't draw attention to yourself and bring, and bring suffering on yourself 
for rebellion and for doing what's wrong. So do what's right, recognizing that whether you suffer or whether you don't, you are blessed. You are God's child. And because of that, you can have confidence in his power and in his purposes. And that's what I want to, as we, as we examine this passage, I want to share with you four primary realities in the text that strengthen the confidence of our faith in Christ. And uh, we're only going to look at two of them this morning, uh, just because we don't have time um, to get through them all. But, but in, in verse, and uh, these two both come out of verse 14. Um, first of all, I want you to see that faith indicates the reality of favor. Faith indicates the reality of favor. The first part of verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And, even, and I said, this is, this is the primary point, is to recognize what, what this means. He says that we are blessed. That word, we've been talking about the word blessing going back um, last, to last week and the week before, um, talking about the blessing of God being on us, that is, of being spoken well of. This, this word blessed is, is a completely different word in the Greek, and it carries the idea of, of, ha- of being honored in a general sense, but even more specifically, as children of God, it speaks of having God's favor rest upon you. Now, that's a comforting thought, to recognize that we, as God's children, have God's favor resting on us. That's what it means when Peter says, you are blessed. He's saying, God's favor is with you. That, that, is, a, that is a comforting thought. That is a comforting thought. Whether, whether or not we're suffering, whether or not we're going through difficulty, whether or not we have opposition, God's favor is on us. Now, there are some that would take that and, and run with it and say that we should only expect the best from God, that he only wants the best things in life, that uh, if we just have enough faith, we won't be sick, we'll have all the wealth that we desire, and, and uh, that's not what this is saying. This, this, this is, this, the Bible nowhere teaches that if we have enough faith that we won't ever be sick, or if we have enough faith, we won't, we won't ever have, be hurting for money, or if we have enough, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't teach that, okay? I mean, just, just look at the Apostle Paul, Right? What it, Paul says, he says, I've learned, I've learned to live with whatever God gives me, whether in much or in little. He says, I've known what it is to be hungry, and I've known what it is to be satisfied. You know, and so, so you know, Paul had his thorn in the flesh. He prayed for God to remove it. And God said, no, I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient for you, but you're going to have to deal with it. And, uh, and so, you know, and then Paul, it's believed that, you know, Paul likely was, was uh, suffered from very poor eyesight later in life, and and, uh, you know, there were things that he suffered, and, and, and he was stoned and left for dead. He was beaten five times with rods. I mean, just crazy stuff that Paul de- dealt with. And then how people can say, well, you know what, if you just have enough faith, then God's going to take away all that bad stuff. No. But God will give you strength to endure it, just as he did with the Apostle Paul, just as he did with these Christians just as he did even with Peter himself, who ultimately was crucified by Nero and, uh, for his faith. But Peter wants the people to recognize it's not that trouble won't come. In fact, Scripture tells us something 
very different. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We will suffer persecution. That is, we will have to make a stand for our faith at some point. That, that there are going to be people who oppose us, that, that are ad, adverse to us just because we are Christian, and we need to be ready to stand. Now, this is, this is something that I think that in American Christianity that is, for the large part of our history as a nation, we haven't seen a large amount of persecution against Christians within our nation. It's on the rise. I mean, it, it's, it's, gaining, it's gaining ground, the opposition to the Christian church. We, we see it in the mainstream media. Um, just recently, I don't know if any of you followed the, the Colorado Cake Baker's case. Um, he was, uh, basically, he was sanctioned by the state because he would not uh, produce a cake for a same-sex wedding, and, they, and the state came after him, and they persecuted him, and they destroyed his business, and, and, and all this. And, it, and anyway, he sued against them and went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, listen, Colorado, you were wrong. He has a right to, to, uh, to do what his, what his faith um, what his faith compels him to, and uh, actually what they said was there, was there was a clear bias against him because of his faith and that they were wrong in what, in what they had done. So the, the Supreme Court decided that this last year, right? Well, as soon as that court was done, somebody else came against the same baker and asked him to do a cake for a, a transgender transition. And he's like, I'm, I can't do it because it goes against my faith. And so what is... So the state of Colorado is coming after him again. And it's like, what's going on? I mean, he just won a Supreme Court decision in his favor. And, and you've got to think that, I think they were kind of watching what happened with the Supreme Court so they would know how to attack him the next time to maybe get things to rule in their favor. But, like it's just, and I just make the point, a lot of us probably won't be involved in something that's in the center of media attention the way that Jack Phillips and, and his Colorado um, bakery has been. But we all, at some point, will encounter people who are at adverse to Christianity in which we will be put into a position where we need to stand firm, recognizing that when... Sorry, recognizing that we are blessed in Christ. That even though we may suffer for serving Christ, we are blessed. As a child of God, regardless of external circumstances, even those that seem the most unfair to us, God's favor is still with us. Even as it was with Christ as he was going to Calvary. Christ went to Calvary. He was blessed of God. He was the very Son of God. The world was, his world was falling apart. The disciples' world was falling apart. But Christ was carrying out the will of God. He went recognizing that his Father's purposes were being accomplished. And we can know that whatever we're dealing with, that when we walk by faith, that we can gain confidence in our faith in Christ, knowing that he has promised that he will always be with us. Understanding that he is giving us strength to endure. 
You know, it's hard for us to understand sometimes why we are made to face the hardships and difficulties in life that come our way. And we wonder how God could let such terrible things happen. And when they do happen, when we deal with adversity, when we deal with difficulty, a lot of times, I think, as, especially as believers, we look at ourselves and say, God, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do that, that you're allowing all of this to come on, on me? And I'm not saying necessarily that it's wrong to necessarily question because sometimes we deserve a little discipline from God. So we need to evaluate. But not always. You know what? Sometimes bad things happen and we haven't done anything wrong. I've been, in, um, for those of you that have been working through the, uh, the Bible in a year, the, with the MacArthur Daily Bible this year with me, We've just finished reading the book of Job, and, uh, and you know that Job was a righteous man on the earth, and he had great affliction put on him, and he hadn't done anything wrong, and he couldn't understand why God would let him do this, and, and, and many of you have been in that situation. You're like, God, why, why, are, you, why are you letting this happen? Why, what did I do to deserve this? But just as it was with Job and just as it is with, with other stories in, in Scripture and in, in, in our lives, God's purposes are so much greater than what we can see that we have to step back and just, and just, and just trust Him, understanding that even though we, we suffer, we are blessed. I, I was reminded as I was studying this week, I was reminded of the, the, the man in, and I think it's in John chapter 9, the, Jesus and his disciples come across a man that was born blind. And, uh, and the disciples ask Jesus because they see, you know, this, okay, this guy's obviously, he's suffered a, a great tragedy, right? He was, he was born blind. He's had this difficulty all through his life. And the disciples say, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents that he would be born blind? And you remember what Jesus told them? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned but so that the works of God might be manifest in him. For this purpose, he was born blind. You ever stop to think that sometimes when you're suffering, when you're going through hardship, when you're going through difficulty, that maybe you're going through it, that God might ma magnify and manifest his glory through your circumstances. The greatest tragedies in our life are also the greatest victories that God gives us. We can't have victory without tragedy. We can't have victory without difficulty. God works through those difficulties in order to magnify his grace and his glory. I remember reading a few years ago about a man who was really upset with God. Um, his son had gone off to war and had been killed. And the guy was just extremely bitter. Pastor from the church goes out to visit the man. Hadn't been in church since the incident. And the guy tried to be nice, but he just, he's just angry and just bitter. And he says, God, or sorry, Pastor, why, where was God when my son was being killed? killed on the battlefield where 
was God. And the pastor thought about it for a moment. And he says, well, I suppose he was in the same place where he was when his son was killed by the Roman authorities. It's a different perspective, isn't it? So it's, it's easy for us, you know, to think about our circumstances and to think about our hurt and our pain and to think about what we're going through and wonder where God is until we realize that even in something as horrific as the crucifixion of Jesus, that God allowed that to happen in order to accomplish something so much greater. For in that most horrific of things, he brought about the redemption of mankind. We have nothing to fear because we are blessed. Because we are blessed. So, faith helps us to recognize God's favor. But faith also instructs us to respond to fear. And this is the latter part of verse 14. He, he says there, right after this, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. I think sometimes when we get instructions from God, I'd much rather him tell me what I need to do than what I don't need to do. It's like, don't be afraid. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying, but God, help me out here. It's a whole lot easier to have instruction that tells me to do something than, than not to do something. And, and he does get into that. He, does, he tells us here, he says, he says, don't be afraid. And then in verse 15, he says, go on. He says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. This is how we don't be afraid. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. This is how you overcome. But I don't want you to miss this response to fear. He says, listen, don't give in to it. Don't give in to fear. There, there, there's nothing that, that this world can do to you as my child. I'm, I'm with you. If something happens... I'm going to see you through it. I'm going to bring you through it. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the strength to endure it. Difficulties will arise, but God's favor rests on us, and we must not give in to the fear that others attempt to frighten us with. What can someone do to you that God can't overcome? If they beat you, God can bring healing. If they kill you, you'll live forever in the presence of your Savior. And I, th I think this is, this is a, a reality that we see in Scripture, and I think this is, this is something that the apostles understood. Paul writes in Philippians, he says, for me to live, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he understood that. You know what? As long as, as, long as I'm alive, I'm going to preach the gospel. The gospel is going to go forward. Christ is going to be exalted. And uh, as long as I'm alive, if I'm beaten, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the gospel with those who beat me. If I'm imprisoned, I'm going to share with the gospel with those who imprisoned me. If I'm, if I'm stoned, I'm going to get up and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep sharing the gospel until I can't share anymore. And when they take my life, I will have gained Christ. Paul understood that reality. And I think Peter understood it. And that's why he gives us the, this passage that we're dealing with here this morning so that we understand there, there is nothing to be afraid of. And just imagine what it does 
to the opposition when you're not afraid? I mean, the world responds to us seeking to intimidate us, seeking to make us afraid, to conform to their ways. But what happens when we're not afraid? In that same passage in Philippians chapter 1 where Paul says, for me to live is to God... For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He goes on in a few, a few verses later. He says, he says, encouraging us to be faithful in the work of the gospel, in no way being alarmed by your opponents. That is, don't be afraid by those who are, he says, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you. You know, it's got to catch people off guard when they're trying to intimidate you in your faith to keep you silent, trying to intimidate you to intimidate you in your faith, to keep you from speaking against their position. And when you don't show any fear, and I'm not talking, listen, I'm not talking about just being combative, because I think sometimes as, as Christians, we, we kind of get that way when, when opposition comes against us. We just meet them with the same kind of opposition going against them in the other direction, and we're not doing it. We're not sharing the truth in love like Christ commanded us to but we're just kind of bowing up and, and being prideful and being, and being angry with people, that doesn't, that doesn't accomplish anything, all right? We have to share the truth in love, but we have, to be, we have to be bold. We have to be unashamed of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And we need to be able to share that in such a way as, as to make them step back and say, okay, what's going on here? You shouldn't be responding that way because... When I employ these tactics in other places, people comply. They do what I want them to do. And they begin to think about, well, maybe there's something different about what we, maybe we know something that they don't. I mean, I don't know. How many, how many of y'all are on social media? I mean, of some kind. You know, Facebook, Twitter whatever the different things, so, so enough in here. All right, so if you, you guys, you guys see this then, anytime somebody has a different opinion from somebody else, it's like the gloves come off, and people are just like attacking each other, and you're just like, you know, it's about the color of the shoe. I mean, you get, people get upset and angry because they post these colors, and they say, what color is this? And people say, oh, it's, it's, black and pink, and someone else says, no, it's green and blue, and, and people get, I mean, I don't remember the, ex, the exact one, that, there's a couple of them out there that, that are what color is this guy, and people just get angry, I mean, over stuff that just doesn't matter, and, and it's like, what in the world, and then when it comes to the things that do matter, then they get really upset, I mean, when you start talking about things of faith, and you start talking about things that, that impact their personal life, People just get angry. Now, as Christians, we can present the truth of the gospel out there, and we can talk about the love of Christ and the need for salvation, but when, when people reject that reality, we shouldn't get mad at them for rejecting the truth. We, sh we should be upset because they're still lost. We should be upset because... They're still without hope. We should be upset because, because they haven't come to the realization of their need yet. But we shouldn't get mad at them for rejecting the truth. We should be praying for them. We should be seeking to encourage them. 
But you know, the culture in which we live is, is, a, is a culture of intimidation. When you don't agree with me, then I just need to force you into submission. And that, I think that's part of our fallen nature. Um, you think about, I mean, even, even with some uh, uh, religious movements throughout history and even currently today, there are religious movements that seek to bring compliance through force. I mean, this is what we see the Muslims doing around the world, right? They're seeking to bring compliance by force. You know, you, you, either, you either bow before Allah or we're going to cut off your head. I mean, that's a tactic we haven't tried. I don't think we should. Um, we're not going to force people into the faith. I think we actually did try it back during the Crusades. It was not a, not a pretty thing and not a bright spot in the history of Christianity. But um, throughout Christ's life, people tried to intimidate him. They tried to trap him in his words. They tried to seek his life, and then finally they crucified him. And for 2,000 years since that time until today, people have been trying to intimidate those who follow Christ. Paul, the Apostle Paul, before he was saved, tried to intimidate Christians into not following Christ. He cast his vote against them in their deaths. He arrested them. He persecuted them, seeking to destroy the church until God got a hold of his heart. Intimidation is, is the way the world works, but it is not the way we have been commanded to respond as children of God. We are not to be intimidated. We are not to be afraid, nor to be troubled. Because while Scripture says that we will have trouble in this world, it also tells us that Christ has overcome the world. The command, the actual command here in verse number 14, it seems to be a reference to Isaiah chapter 8. And uh, in particularly, in Isaiah chapter 8, King Ahaz of Judah, what's going on there? He had, he had been asked to make an alliance with Israel and with Syria against the forces of Assyria. And God had told Ahaz, don't align yourselves with those wicked kings. And don't fear Assyria. I know they're big and they're bad and they're coming. Don't be afraid of them. And that's, that's kind of the context that Peter's drawing out of and understanding that because, because what God tells Ahaz through Isaiah is you don't need to fear the powers of the world, but fear God and treat him as holy. That's, that's the context of that reference. And that's really where, when we think about those things which bring fear into our life, we need to remember that God has told us we don't need to give in to fear, but we need to understand who God is, understand that he's holy, and seek to obey and honor him above all else. That's how we keep from giving in to fear, keeping our eyes on Jesus rather than on our circumstances. Circumstances, Recognizing that he has already accomplished through his death and resurrection everything 
that we need for eternal life. And then through those events, although the disciples couldn't see it, I mean, we talk about the death and resurrection of Christ as, as if it just wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, it was just something that happened. We've heard so much about it. But have you ever stopped to think about what the disciples were experiencing when Jesus was being led away after he had been arrested? And then as they saw him being beaten and his flesh torn from his body, and then as he was carrying his cross to Golgotha, can you imagine what was going through the minds of his disciples? Their world was falling apart. Everything that they had invested in for the last three and a half years was just crumbling. And what would God tell them? Don't be afraid. What did Jesus tell them? Don't be afraid. He tells us the same thing today. Don't be afraid. As I said earlier, the great tragedies of life are often the means that God uses to accomplish his greatest victories. In 2007, actually in 2006, God called me to the gospel ministry. In 2007, my family packed up our stuff and headed to Memphis, Tennessee through an event, through a weird string of events that redirected us to that location. And within a few months of moving there to begin the pursuit of ministry, and most of you know um, that know me know this, but my oldest son Isaiah was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I can remember asking God why. Why would you, why would you do, I'm, I've just given up everything in my life to, to come follow you and, and to serve you and to, and to make much of you. Why would you allow this to happen? And slowly God began to, to show me, first of all, how he'd been at work through various circumstances to bring us to that place so that my son could receive the, the care that he did through St. Jude Children's Hospital and, and continues to receive. And, uh, but then he also began to open doors of ministry for me and for my family as we began to be able to minister to others who were going through similar circumstances. And then he began to open doors for us to be able to share the gospel with, with people we would have never had access to, um, to be able to share the hope of Christ with, with mainstream media. And uh, some, I've shared the story with some of you about Isaiah being on, on the news on the Today Show and, and sharing um, just seven years old and um, just finished his radiation treatment and when Meredith Vieira asks him are you ready to throw away your mask he says I'll never throw that away and she says well why not and he says because I want to use it to share my story with kids around the world so they can come to know the Lord I mean what other venue would we have an opportunity to share the hope of Christ with those people if not through the tragedy of a brain tumor and the subsequent treatments and, and things that were going on? And, then, and, then, and so over the last 11 years, God continues to work through that and to give us opportunities to speak to people and, and to share hope. And, and, uh, 
but I would say even greater than the opportunities that he's given us is the growth in faith that we've experienced through that difficulty. God has taught me so much about him because of that difficulty. And he continues to teach me through Isaiah and through my other kids that ex- experience this with us and our family as we, if we've sought God and we've surrendered to him and, and we've asked for his help. You know, as difficult of a road as it's been, if I could go back and change it, I wouldn't. I wouldn't exchange what I've learned about God through that hardship. I could never exchange that for an easier life. Whatever you might be dealing with in your life right now, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it may seem to to be able to, to hold on and to persevere and to come through it, God is able to work through that to grow you in faith, to strengthen you in your understanding and knowledge of who he is. God is able to give you victory in the midst of utter hopelessness. I think if we're going to take something away from this passage this morning, it, it, it is that reality that Because we're God's children, his his blessing is on us. Regardless of our circumstances, God's favor rests on us. He's working to glorify his name through us. When we're pursuing what is good and right in God's sight, we can be assured that he is with us and that we have nothing to fear from those who would oppose us. Not that things will always be easy, but in the midst of difficulty, we can know that he is with us and that he will give us the strength that we need to persevere and overcome. And he will continue to do that until he takes us home to glory. His favor is on us so that we should not. Now understand, these words that Peter writes, they are written to believers for their encouragement. But even in recognizing that, and I, and I pray today that, that as believers you would be encouraged to persevere, to obey Christ, to be strengthened in his promises and his power and in his presence. But also understand that these, these truths and these realities, these are... These are an, an enticement to the unbelieving world. Because you know what? Unbelievers suffer too. And they need hope. And they need help. And we have a message in Jesus Christ that gives them that. He is offering them this same comfort and this same encouragement through faith in his name. If you don't know Christ, you can put your trust in him today. He offers you this encouragement. He offers you forgiveness of sins, adoption into his family, 
purpose in life, strength in adversity, and hope always. Faith in Christ gives us the confidence to endure everything that life brings our way. Let us pray together. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the truth that you've, you've given us in this passage. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to encourage our hearts and help us, Lord. And, and even though we haven't got to talk about what it means to sanctify you in our hearts, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that very thing. To focus our heart, our mind, our energy on you, on your will, on your word. So that we will not fear. So that we will recognize that we are blessed. And that we have nothing to fear. For you are our God. Mighty to save. You are our Savior. Our Redeemer. Our Counselor. You are all that we need. And you offer to us all things. So, Lord, I pray for those that are hurting this morning, that are facing difficulty in life, that are struggling, Lord, to hang on. I pray that they would see that you are their hope. That if they will focus their eyes on you and not worry about the circumstances around them, that you will bring victory. And Lord, for those that are present this morning that don't know you, they've never experienced what it means to be forgiven. They don't know what it means to have new life in Christ. I pray, Father, that the hope that is offered this morning through this passage would encourage them to put their faith in you this morning. That you would draw them to yourself and open their heart to believe the gospel, to repent of their sins and to trust in you. And for all of us, that we would stop trying to do things our way and seek to do them your way. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I want to ask you to stand with me.